nursing industry is one of the fastest growing career forces in the world today. There are so many issues in the healthcare field these days relating to nurses that simply are not discussed in the media. Welcome to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with Leanne Meyer. Our program will help you with the most relevant information if you're in the nursing field or are planning to enter the industry. Now, here is your host, Leanne Meyer. This is Leanne Meyer, and it is Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, Exploring the World of Nursing. I'm very excited today. Uh, This is kind of a part two of a previous show that we did on uh, January 8th. Um, That show is called Addiction in Nursing and then Moral Failure to Chronic Disease. Uh, Today we're going to talk a little more specifically about the peer support group, the Nursing Peer Support Network. Uh, that Marie Manthe had started and uh, continues to work with and, and uh, enlarge. So um, I am really excited to talk about this topic. It's such a huge need right now in our country and really in the world, and not a lot of resources being put toward it, especially to the, the nurses that uh, we would love to be able to help them get back to work. So... Um, my guest returning from that first episode is Marie Manthe, nursing pioneer of primary nursing and so much more. She has founded the Creative Healthcare Management Company over 40 years ago, uh, this year actually, and she recently um, ha- has been receiving awards all around the country and uh, just really exciting. Um, the Nursing Peer Support Network Uh, is specifically dedicated to nurses uh, in recovery or with recovering needs. And then also returning is Becky Lillehei, and she has dedicated her efforts to make this group accessible to these nurses as a convener uh, for the network and then also as a chair for the group. And today we have a new guest, and that is Dr. Deborah Mathias Anderson, And she's researched nurses with addictions returning to the work world. So I want to welcome all of you. Uh, Maybe each of you could say just your name and a little bit about what you've done and what brings you here, and uh, we can go from there. Okay. Thanks, Dan. Uh, My name is Marie Manthe, and and I had the pleasure of sort of uh, being in the very founding of the Nursing Peer Support Network. I have been a nurse for a very long time, probably since I was five years old, and uh, my own personal journey uh, uh, included a fracture of my career midway through when I was, uh, uh, became a full-blown alcoholic and was fortunately able to resume different career activities. and. I never really looked very much at what was happening within my own profession with other nurses who also had the problem of an addiction, either a drug or alcohol. I was, I was amazingly oblivious to it because I've always paid attention to my career and I've always paid attention to my recovery and yet I didn't put two and two together. And I think that's an indication of the conspiracy of silence <laughs> that we suffer from. We can talk about that a little bit more, right. too. So, um, Becky, can you tell us a little about yourself? Sure. Um, I'm Becky Lillehei, and thanks, Leanne, for having me back again. Um, I'm very grateful 
for the opportunity to expand on the first radio show that we did a couple weeks ago. Um, I've always had a very high regard for nurses. And um, when I was given an opportunity to share my own recovery and my nursing career with others, I was elated. In January of 2016, I lost my beautiful, beautiful 33-year-old daughter to an accidental overdose. And my world was completely turned upside down. Um, within a couple of months, I met Diane Noss, who we've mentioned before, who is a uh, big provider of ours. Um, she strongly encouraged me to contact Marie, and those of us that are sitting here know she strongly encourages what's <laughs> on her mind. Um, and I knew enough about my own recovery that if I wanted to maintain my sobriety and I wanted to continue living my life without my daughter, I was going to have to do something um, to get involved and help somebody else. And Marie presented me with an incredible opportunity to become part of the Nursing Peer Support Network. And I was suddenly surrounded by a group of men and women that sincerely wanted to be of service to others and supported me as well. So um, I'm just thrilled to be a convener and chair of the Nursing Peer Support Committee. Great. And I really want to welcome uh, Dr. Deborah Mathias-Anderson to our group here and tell us a little about yourself. Sure. I've been a nurse for over 30 years, but most of that time um, in the last 24 years has been as a nurse educator. And when I first started teaching, I had a colleague who was on the Board of Nursing, and she would come back and share stories about the numerous disciplinary cases that they had to uh, manage uh, related to nurses with addiction. And that stimulated my interest in this topic and recognized after doing some research that there was not much information about nurses and addiction. So I um, gathered what I could find in the literature and started teaching a very small module about the risks for nurses for addiction. And as I went through graduate school and ended up in a doctoral program, I went back to this topic and discovered that indeed there's very little written about this, especially related to nurses going back to work. And so that became my doctoral research study. And in that uh, journey, my path crossed with Marie's and um, went to a very powerful meeting at her home one night uh, where a bunch of nurses who struggled with addiction got together for probably the first time ever in our state. And uh, out of that, I became very um, passionate and involved. I'm now on the board of directors of the Nursing Peer Support Network, and I also chair the education committee. So I, I echo what Becky said. This is an amazing group of women and men who uh, provide service by supporting each other and uh, providing also the education to our community about this topic. So thank you for having me. You are so welcome. And I'd like to just, uh, I'll probably put this out again at the end, but I want to mention that anyone who has interest in doing research and is looking for an interesting topic, this is a critical, crucial one. So please do consider it. Um, so I'm going to go back to Rebecca. Tell us, or Becky, I haven't called you Rebecca for a while. Um, Becky, and just kind of uh, tell us about the conveners. Okay. Um, it is one of the most important service opportunities 
as a nurse that we get to, in recovery will ever get to experience. It is, I'm going to read a few of the stories from some of the other conveners and they mention the um, being a gift, being an honor, being so grateful that they are part of it. It's rewarding, but it also requires us to make a major commitment. We have two conveners at each meeting so that at least one will always be able to make it if the other one is sick because we would never want a nurse to show up that needs us and not have somebody be there. We need to have at least two years of total in-full abstinence-based recovery from our own addiction. We do not provide advice, engage in any form of counseling, and we do not conduct interventions. Our primary role is to open and close the meeting within the posted time frame, and we ensure a safe and supportive environment in which nurses can share and learn from each other's experiences. We meet quarterly with the conveners for an opportunity to share best practices and for an in-service education. And we currently have seven meetings going on right now. We have four in the Metro, one in Duluth, one in Mankato, and one in Wilmer. And we're working on expanding to uh, northern, southern, western suburbs. So I'm going to read you a few of the um, messages I got back from the conveners when I asked them to share why they wanted, why they became conveners. Every successful recovery journey begins with the fundamental the belief that you are worthy. When you have lost your nursing license, your income, in some cases, your reputation, it is very difficult to feel you are redeemable. This feeling is intensified by the isolation that is created not only with losing your job, but with feeling like you are the only one who has ever experienced this. When I finally met another nurse who had been through similar circumstances, I felt hope for the first time. There is healing in knowing you are not alone. To hear somebody say, me too, is extremely comforting and empowering. NPSN is a place where nurses can come and be reminded that they are worthy, they are not alone, and that recovery is possible. For me, being an NPSN convener is a gift to see people at some of their most vulnerable times and watch them flourish into better versions of themselves is an honor. After over three years of convening, I go to see my good friends, and I go to see the friends that I'm about to make. That's great. Can I read another one? Yeah. Oh, perfect. Too. <laughs> when I first lost my license, I felt so alone. After I got my life back together and found out the hard way that the Board of Nursing isn't there to protect me, but to protect the patients, I knew that I didn't want anyone else to feel alone in the process like I did. I started a group in Mankato where I hoped nurses in the same boat as myself could meet and share experiences and learn from each other, as well as help each other along the way. Along the way, I was introduced to Marie. I joined, I joined forces with the group that is now NPSN. I truly wish that I could play a bigger part in the NPSN process other than convener. However, with living in Southern Minnesota, I find myself not able to get into everything I can. This has brought a full circle to my life as well as a purpose for all the trials that I went through. I can only hope that I can lessen the next nurse's pain. That's great. Um, we actually have a little more time. I've got, got more. Yes, please I would love do. to. My, my nursing career was affected by substance use disorder in 1980, resulting in the suspension of my nursing license and job loss. I felt alone, shameful, hopeless, and a failure. I had several secrets surrounding my disease, which I was unable to share. I felt trapped, isolated, and was the nurse more easily enabled rather than confronted. I eventually overdosed at work and ended up in the ER, which was reported to the Board of Nursing, and that action saved my life. 
After treatment, when I entered AA, I still had the secrets, shame, and fear. No one else was talking about drug diversion, hospitals, losing your license, your career, or your identity. I was referred to a woman who was a nurse for a sponsor. The growth and peace I found in this relationship was amazing. We started a nurse's AA group and found others stuck in the same place I had been. I learned about the higher risk of addiction in the medical field due to drug access, job stress, and variable hours. I gained acceptance of my disease and the understanding that it has no barriers. I re-entered the nursing profession, became eager to share my experience with other negative personnel, and spoke with the nursing classes at the college. My purpose was to support and educate so that others knew they weren't alone with unique consequences. I was grateful for the person that stepped up and reported me to the board to keep patients safe and nurses from dying. I relocated several times over the years and retired from nursing to raise my family. I became more involved in AA. In 2017, I had a sponsee going through what I had experienced in my nursing career and remembered Diane Noss from my husband's involvement in HPSP. I contacted Diane and she immediately asked about how much sobriety I had and asked if I would be interested in being a convener and start an NPS meeting in Wilmer. I did not hesitate with a yes and was so excited to be of service to other nurses again. It's amazing to see the members open up and share when I speak of my experience. A member that just wanted to walk away from nursing began to work on being reinstated and speaking to the nursing school. The hope and trust that continues to grow with members is what strengthens my sobriety. I will, be, I will continue to be of service to nurses wherever I am called upon. This is my lifelong amends to society. That is so amazing, you know, to hear all three of those and know that that isn't even all of the people that are working on this. And, you know, if you're out there and you are looking for someone to help you, these are the people. This is the quality of the people that are waiting to help you. So please do consider it. Um, we're going to take a break here. And um, this is going to be another one of these sessions that goes really too fast. So uh, this is Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing. If you're just joining us, I am Leanne Meyer, and I'm here talking with Marie Manthe, uh, Becky Lillehi, and Deborah Matthias Anderson. I'm tongue-tied. I'm just still thinking about those quotes. So um, just uh, join us back on the other side of the commercial. Listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Now there's a new destination for video content, VoiceAmerica.tv. Just like our radio channels and so much more. Voice America Variety, Health and Wellness, Business, Sports, Green Talk, Power Up Motorsports, and 7th Wave Network now have their own video channel components. Plus, check out exclusive programming, including movies, music, educational courses, science and history, current events, and short features. High-definition, premier-quality programs available 24-7. VoiceAmerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. Take us on the go. It's even easier now. The Voice America Talk Radio Network has launched our mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market to download the app powered by Aircast. It's free and no registration is necessary. In minutes, you could be enjoying your favorite Voice America Talk Radio host, no matter where you are, in the car, out and about, while traveling, or anytime you can't be close to your computer. Catch up on the archives you've missed or discover new shows on the spot. Search Voice America at your favorite app store. 
tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse. Exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. To reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to leannevoiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse. Welcome back. This is Leanne Meyer, and this is Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse. And today we're talking about the Nursing Peer Support Network. This is actually the second of two. And if you get a chance, definitely go back and listen to the first one from January 8th. Um, Becky Lillehei has been just talking to us about the conveners, and those are the people who are responsible for the meeting and making sure that everything moves smoothly and that everyone gets an opportunity to talk, etc. So um, we're going to move to um, uh, Marie Manthe. And as we were talking earlier, she had mentioned the concept of conspiracy of silence, and that really intrigued me. Marie, could you talk a little more about that? Oh, definitely. Um, you know, I think back to that evening at my house that, at, that Deb mentioned, and one of the outstanding and shocking things for me was hearing nurses say, I had nobody to talk to. I was alone. I was alone in my drinking. I was alone in my recovery. I was alone in my return to work. The sense of isolation within our profession is profound. And listening to Becky talk, share with us what the conveners are saying, it just put joy in my heart because people are able to share and heal. That's where the healing takes place. And, uh, you know, I didn't understand any of this before we actually got started and uh, found that, in fact, other health professionals have known this for some time. We were kind of late understanding the impact of addiction in nursing, uh, and there are so many aspects to it, such as we have some risk factors that are much higher than anywhere else in the population. We have exactly at least the same prevalence, if not higher, and um, we have almost a profound lack of education regarding the issue of addiction in nursing, and it's a it's a conflicting situation. It's a very, we're very ambivalent. We do a good job of teaching nurses how to manage patients' pain <clears throat> and how important opioids are for that purpose, but we say nothing about what happens when a nurse 
takes an opioid and becomes addicted. The risks of addiction in nursing are high, the consequences are profound, and it's almost a, has almost been a blank slate in our education programs. Not only that, but there's also an attitudinal problem. Nurses know how to help patients manage pain, and we take some pride in that part of our role. But when we have a patient who is an addict, either on drugs or alcohol, our attitude is very negatively judgmental, which has an impact on a nurse being willing to seek help early in their own process. So it results in nurses delaying their own recovery because of the judgment they know they're going to be receiving. So to look at the issue of education, um, we have actually made that the second major focus of the Nursing Peer Support Network. The two, the two responsibilities we accept is the development of peer support conversations throughout the state and the development of education programs at all levels of nursing education. There were no, there was no curriculum for undergraduate nurses to begin to understand the risks and consequences of addiction in nursing until fairly recently. The University of Minnesota has developed one and Deb Mathias Anderson has developed one. So we now have two curriculums available to pre-licensure student nurses. In addition to that, the uh, Peer Support Network has developed, is developing a speakers bureau. We are becoming a formalized speakers bureau, but for the last two or three years, many of us have gone out talking about addiction to nurses throughout the state. In nursing education settings, last week I was in Mankato talking to the junior class. Um, in, in, in employment uh, uh, settings, we did some major programming at Accenture a couple of months ago, and we are available to uh, talk about the issues of nurse addiction in any setting uh, that we can. You know, one of the really interesting things about recovery is that we tend to keep that very private. Um, a few years ago, I had an opportunity to speak to a group of nurse leaders and I identified myself as a recovering alcoholic. I was actually doing a seminar on relationship-based care and I found it to be uh, compelling to take some time to talk about that part of my life. And since then, I have been willing to talk about my recovery again and again and again and again. And part of the reason for that is that nobody can take my career away from me. But for nurses who are currently in a progressive career, identifying themselves as a recovering addict carries consequences that it should not. We need to relieve ourselves of this conspiracy of silence. We need to stop the judgment about nurses who had an addiction problem and then went into recovery because it's extremely difficult right now for nurses who are moving into addiction to see a pathway into recovery. And I think within our profession, within healthcare, within society, there's a lot of confusion about whether it's a disease or a moral failure. 
And if it's a disease, how should it be treated? I, I am thoroughly convinced that our topic should be from moral failure to chronic disease. We need to start seeing this as a chronic disease, which means that once it's diagnosed, once we acknowledge that this is in fact what's going on, having somebody go to treatment is not the end of the story. It's just the beginning of the story. And there's a really big misunderstanding about that. People think, well, she went to treatment, she should be okay now. And that's not the case. This is a chronic disease and I find a lot of similarities with diabetes. There's a diagnosis, there's a treatment plan, and that person needs to manage that diabetes for the rest of their lives. Or they can relapse. That disease can exacerbate. It's exactly the same parallel process in addiction. There's a diagnosis, there's a treatment, and then the person really needs to start managing their process of recovery for the rest of their lives. And there are mechanisms to do that. There are many different approaches to doing that. The important thing is that people need to accept responsibility for managing their recovery for the rest of their lives. And that brings us into we need more people who are in the professions that, that help people with these specific things too. So whether that's nurses or whether that's psychiatrists, psychologists, um, you know, the, the people that are out there helping with AA and so on. You know, the stigma and shame issue within the profession, the stigma comes from outside. The shame comes from inside. We know we're trusted. And when we realize that we broke that trust in our addiction, the shame is extremely powerful. When my career fractured in my mid-40s, the shame I felt was unbelievable. What happens in the convener groups and the peer support meetings is the nurses helping nurses deal, heals the stigma and shame. It absolutely heals it. And, you know, it was wonderful to have Becky read those comments from the conveners. And it reminds me again and again that that's where the rubber hits the road in our profession. That's where the healing takes place at the peer support meetings. Uh, there is no other mechanism to provide that relief from stigma and shame other than nurses talking to nurses. It is, it is just beautiful, and it continues to occur with every group. We now have seven groups meeting. We are looking to expand that. We are looking for people willing to become conveners. We're also beginning to move into... We're also beginning to move into a one-to-one -one peer support uh, type of service we're going to offer. So the peer support function and the education function are the two primary goals of the Nursing Peer Support Network. We're only three and a half, four years old now, and we've already seen a great deal of benefit from our work. Wow. Are you seeing people able to return to work? Yes. and That's the exciting part. It, it, that's right. And that's a big conversation. Part of the conversation that they have with each other mm -hmm. is how to handle that return to work situation. Um, and again, it's because uh, people with experience doing it are able to help others right. learn how to do it for themselves. What, what has worked, what didn't that's work. Right. You know, going back to the same group of people you worked with before has a lot to do with what was the relationship prior to leaving that position. Um, there are all kinds of things that have to be taken into consideration. Is that uh, such a high level of stress that that's not right. a good place right. to go back exactly. in? Exactly. And like, like Becky mentioned, the problem, the, 
the role of the Board of Nursing is to protect the public. There is, a, there is an organization called the Health Professional Services Program that sets up a monitoring program that helps the newly recovered person stay on track with regular, regular, irregular random urine checks and other mechanisms to fulfill a contract that results in an alternative to discipline program that allows a person to return to work much more quickly. At the, at the convener meetings, at the peer support meetings, oftentimes nurses have a negative attitude towards either the board or HPSP or both. And nothing corrects that negative attitude faster than talking to someone who has benefited mm -hmm. by what the board did, mm -hmm. who has benefited by being a member, by being a part in the HPSP program. Well, some of that resistance is still there, if, you know, if you're still in denial or, oh, yeah, you, exactly. you know, you have all so much shame anyway, and you're assuming others are shaming you in addition. It's sort of like you're projecting that, but um, many times to realize that they may be honest with you where others have been nice and right, not pointed right. out to you that what you're doing is visible and apparent. Yeah. Uh, many times, I know for, for women, um, work is one of the first places that it can show up. For men, it tends to be the last place mm -hmm. because men tend to be able to say, uh, well, I can still hold down a job. I mean, I may have lost my family. I may have lost my, yeah, right. my wife, my house, my whatever else, but I still can hold down a job, so therefore I don't have a problem. Yeah. You know, one of the things that um, we're looking at really emphasizing within these curriculums are the consequences in that it's so very, very easy when a patient doesn't want the second Percocet that's been put out by the Pixis machine. And the nurse has a backache. And we've taught her really well about the importance of catching a pain before it gets too bad. And she's got eight hours more to work with this terrible backache. And wasting a Percocet is a hassle. And we didn't emphasize very, very well in education that taking that Percocet, what, seven, one in seven people who start on, on an opioid are likely to become addicted to it. And what happens is the insidious uh, additional use of, of drugs over and over, you pass through those invisible lines, use, abuse, addiction, to the point where you cannot not use. Now, alcoholism and, addic and drug addiction are the same process in many ways, but opioids use that's not prescribed to you is criminal. And a nurse who starts diverting medications from patients under any circumstances at all whatsoever, whether taking it away from a patient's use or just taking it from a patient's supply, is going to be subject to a criminal act. You know, and I think um, many nurses get that they can't or shouldn't be taking it from patients, but I don't know how much they get the, the leftover uh, medications <laughs> right. that my husband took when he had his knee replaced right. or my child that, um, you know, tore whatever uh, in football that they had med medications left over. That's okay because that's my child or that's my husband. And I think the same thing can happen where they, they know work is right. the boundary, but they don't necessarily see uh, the importance of what's happening at home. Right. And I think that the issue of it being a criminal act in the hospital 
is not emphasized yeah. strongly enough. Police come to units. And sometimes nurses are taken away from units in handcuffs. We're talking about felony convictions, yeah. which result in long-term inability to pass criminal checks. Some of the consequences of opioid addiction that involves diversion are horrendous. And I don't want to scare people, but I do think we need to be honest about it. I think um, I'm, I'm teaching this RN refresher course, and some of the things we talk about is the legal issues and aspects of it. And one of the things that uh, often comes up is the fact that uh, especially nurses who have been away from nursing for a while have either forgotten or maybe didn't stay up with what are some right. of the, the legal aspects. And um, there is kind of the feeling, well, I didn't know about it, so therefore. And the deal is with nursing, if you're a professional nurse, you are a professional and you are required to know those things That's that right. you need to know. So if you've not gone out and searched to find out what what is missing in my education along the way here, you're still held accountable. Right. Um, should we take a break here? Yes. That might be a good place mm -hmm. to do it. Um, yeah, so this is uh, Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, and I am Leanne Meyer. If you're just joining me, we're talking about the Nursing Peer Support Network here in the twin in in Minnesota, but um, also that is taking place around many many other states have their own version of it. We're trying to expand this particular uh, group also. So I'm here with. Uh, Murray Manthe and Becky Lillehei and uh, Deb Mathias Anderson. We'll be back in just a couple minutes. Your life, your health, your network. This is Voice America Health and Wellness. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings of the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our wall. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. 
plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse. Exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. To reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to leannevoiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse. We are back, and this is Leanne Meyer, and this is Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing, and today what we're exploring is the Nursing Peer Support Network related to nurses who are dealing with addictions of various kinds uh, and um, wanting to return to their nursing practice at some point. So um, I'm here again with uh, Marie Manthe and Becky Lillehei, and I'd like to bring Dr. Deborah um, Matthias Anderson into our conversation. So I know Marie was talking about, um, you know, that that people going through this network and the support group are actually able to go back to work. And I know that I think that was your thesis that you were working on. How do we get people back to work? My, um, <clears throat> excuse me, my doctoral thesis uh, related to what happens when a nurse does go back to work successfully. What are those processes? What helped them go back to work? what hindered that process, what was the experience like. So it was a qualitative study where I interviewed 22 nurses from around the country about their work reentry experience. They were all registered nurses and they um, had all um, reclaimed their license or got their license back and had had at least one reentry experience. So the participants in my study shared that the things that helped them go back to work primarily was recovery support. If they were able to find a good meeting, if they had the support of friends and family, uh, that was really, really crucial. The um, aftercare therapy, sober living, finding a good 12-step group, sponsorship, all of those things improved success in going back to work. Setting healthy boundaries, which sometimes nurses aren't real good at, but they have to learn that in recovery, especially going back to work, that you can't consistently work a lot of overtime. Um, And then just rethinking the career trajectory in their lives. Um, I think we mentioned earlier that for a nurse who uh, had worked in ICU or critical care or the emergency department, that probably is not the best choice in recovery to go back to work to those high acute um, stressful situations. So rethinking what does my career look like? Um, The internal facilitators were very interesting. The top on the list is the whole nursing identity, your professional identity as a nurse. And the people who chose to be a part of my study uh, made comments like, nursing was more than just what I did. It really was a big part of my identity. 
Another quote was, I love what I do. I never thought I wasn't going back to it. I guess it really is a part of my identity. So people have this very passionate uh, tie to their uh, identity as a nurse, and that helped. As well as, though, they had to shift that a little bit in terms of priority, that the they had to come to view themselves as a person with an addiction, and that they could no longer see their nursing identity as the top, that they are now an addict in recovery, and back to what Marie was talking about in terms of managing their chronic illness. Um, valuing self-care, and again, that's a thing that nurses sometimes aren't very good at, but valuing healthy self-care, in my estimation, is what recovery is about in managing your chronic disorder. So. Uh, those were some of the things that helped nurses go back to work. Some of the things that hindered was uh, what we've talked about already, the lack of education about substance use disorders, particularly in nurses. Financial stressors were many. Uh, and then just difficulty finding someone to hire them, uh, particularly if there had been uh, some stipulations against the license that made it difficult the internal barriers we've talked about in both of the um, our broadcasts is the stigma and the shame. And then I added a third one of fear, uh, that nurses oftentimes voice being very concerned that someone at their new place of employment would find out that they were a recovering addict. So those are some of the things that whole shift in identity was kind of the, the overall um, biggest lesson is that people had to reprioritize their identities and um, the things that were uh, important in life and to really focus on being a recovering addict who also is a nurse who's in recovery. So yeah. who has a number of other things of mm -hmm. wife, mother, right. daughter, right. sister, on and on and on. So yeah. even just handling those two things of I'm an addict and I'm a nurse are huge. And then you add all of the other things that go into it. I'm curious if anybody talked about what they did if somebody did come up to them in the new place and say, I happen to know Joe Blow who worked at your previous place and he or she told me that you are an addict. How do they deal with that or what's a good way to deal with it? I didn't have many people share stories like that, but what I did have participants share is the importance of honesty in recovery. And recovery in 12-step programs is about getting honest. And I think probably Becky sees that a lot in her new participants, that reluctance. And then it's just an unfolding of being more honest and truthful about themselves. And so I heard those kinds of things um, repeatedly. Uh, what I do also think was powerful for me is that I had several of my participants say, I am such a better nurse now that I'm in recovery. And I actually found a quote that I put in my dissertation. Uh, and the quote is, I don't think people understand how much better you're going to be as a nurse with that sense of calm, that sense of acceptance. I found myself being a lot more diplomatic. It just comes with recovery. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that is a powerful um, example of that people will look now as, as themselves as being healthy in recovery and that that will transfer to their skills as a nurse. And I just, I find that that's um, 
that keeps me so involved in this group because we hear those stories. Yeah. I, um, I think about uh, my first introduction to uh, AA was the nursing school. And where you were saying we don't hear a lot about that, I was really pretty impressed that our, our program did encourage us to um, go to at least one AA meeting. And I grew up in a family with um, uh, some alcoholic previous background in previous generations and then some challenges in the 60s with both of my brothers. Um, I was not involved, but I was kind of like watching, this is what not to do. <laughs> Um, and, and my first meeting, what to me it said was, you know, put AA aside or alcoholics or whatever. This is like human, um, right. you know, the need and how much better we could all be if we had some place where we really could talk at that level of um, being vulnerable and uh, admitting errors and being able to learn from other people what is perhaps a better way of being. Um, I also grew up in a small town where a lot of gossip goes on, and uh, it's always overwhelming to me when I go back home to hear the, the amount of it and how much how fearful people are right. that if I was gossiping about other people, what are people saying about me? And so out of my own life, what I found is that in getting to the point where I am honest always with me and try to be honest with everyone, it's almost like... Um, adult learning adult behavior which some of us never do learn and I think within the nursing profession there are pitfalls to being an adult about your recovery um, I think um, coming into a new setting being honest with everybody right up front it might be a mistake I hate to say it that way but I, I have to I think that being careful about who you say it to mm -hmm. and watching uh, just watching behaviors I think it's important to um, a lot of times the, the question of making that apparent during the interview is is already decided by the board action or by the requirement that you need to have someone at work uh, as a monitor uh, for HPSP in the cases where it isn't known ahead of time and the individual needs to make a choice uh, that's one of the topics that comes up at the peer support meeting the decision some people will make to be honest at that interview so that they're not going to be uh, caught at, at a later time and others say it's my business I didn't get involved with the board I didn't get involved with HPSP I'm in recovery I don't need to tell so there isn't one right way and that's really important for everybody to understand. Uh, with almost all the steps involved in recovery, uh, there are judgments to be made, and the individual, the consequences, is the person who needs to make the judgment. Uh, putting on my recruiter hat, because I used to uh, hire nurses for quite a period of time, and one of the things I always teach my students now is, um, you are not required to reveal any any negatives about yourself in the interview. The idea with the interview is you want to sell yourself. Right. And um, 
most often they have not checked your nursing licensure at that point because they don't know if they're really interested. So they wait until they have a couple of candidates they're very interested in, and that might be the point. So it might be a second interview. It could even be a third interview, or it might be just a uh, discussion with the human resource representative at that point. And once they're offering you the job, they have said, we love you. We want you. At that point, there is a commitment that's already there. The likelihood they'll pull it away uh, at that point is probably small. And legally, they really need to say, what kind of accommodation would you need? So if you already know the accommodation, I can't work overtime. I need to work the hours that I'm assigned. Um, whatever it would be, I can't. I can't wrote, uh, float to the emergency room. That kind of thing. So those are important things for people to know as they go into those interviews too. Right. I actually um, would interview and hire nurses as well in the position that I was in, and I had a couple throughout my career that actually I interviewed, loved them. Uh, the offers were made contingent on background checks. They passed background checks and on their first day would walk in my office and say, you know, I need you to monitor me through this program. And I was like, great. They, you know, they didn't, they, none of it was disclosed up front. And as long as they passed the background check, they were home Absolutely. free. Absolutely. Then they I, didn't get convicted of diverting opioids. Yeah. Correct. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, and even if they did have some kind of a criminal background, you know, during the time that they were using, um, I really feel like everybody should get at least one chance, at right. least one and probably more. So that, that comes into, again, of uh, managers being grown up enough to realize people have a life. Sometimes things don't go right. I agree 100% philosophically and morally. However... I think that hospitals are so risk averse that the um, criticism, the risk that they're taking in hiring somebody who didn't pass a criminal check yeah. is scary. I mean, I think that a lot of HR departments just at that point say, this is not good, we're not going to do it. And legally, the thing is that if that, whatever the criminal activity was, had nothing to do with you know, caring for patients or anything like that, maybe, I don't know what it would be, but um, that's one of the things we're not supposed to hold that against them. But right. just as you're saying, with mm -hmm. the whole priority of, of caring for human beings that are, their life and death is in our hands. Right. Deb, say more. I, well, I have, I have an example of one of my participants who shared that she applied for over 80 positions yeah. Once she got her license back, she'd come to Minnesota for treatment. She decided she needed to stay here for her recovery support. And what she found was that uh, some of our huge healthcare systems, if you apply once, like in one clinic, in one suburb, the HR department is all connected. Yes, and so that's true. If they deny you one place, it's denied throughout the whole system, which can be really, really frustrating. I also had another participant who works in a southern state where they have a lot of oil companies, and he made the statement to me during the interview that uh, he was in treatment with some folks who worked in the oil industry, and their experience of going back to work was, wow, we heard you were in treatment, way to go, we're proud of you, welcome back. 
and that was not his experience as a nurse right. at all. Right. And so that shame and stigma is so pervasive, and no wonder people are a little fearful around sharing and disclosing and being honest. So. I'll throw this out. I wonder because, you know, in an, it's sort of like being in the trenches together where you feel like you have to watch each other's back and, you know, you have to know that trust that that other person is going to be there for you, too. Um, I've just always noticed that there are certain groups of nurses that are constantly looking for what you're going to misstep or, you know, judging on, and uh, sharing that judgment with other people. Um, I don't know if that's something that's unique to nursing. I don't know if that's human or if that's females, so many females working together. I don't know. But working with groups that don't do that is so incredibly refreshing. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, I, there's another interesting aspect to the whole issue of addiction in society, which is that it is a family, it is a family disease. Mm-hmm. There's a familial tendency to becoming an addict, but this is a family disease in that an addict in the family affects everybody in the family. And what I have experienced negative responses to the issue of addiction in nursing, nine times out of 10, it's one of two things. Either the negativity is coming from a nurse who's worried about her own use, mm-hmm. or it's coming from a nurse who was in a family where there was an addict yes. and, that, and it was dysfunctional, and that nurse has not gotten any recovery. Yes. So those are two dynamics that really impact our feeling safe even to come out and talk about our addiction to our colleagues. And, and yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, So, unfortunately, we're down to the last two minutes of our program. Um, Yeah, Becky, would you read one more? I have another great note here from one of the conveners. When I was fired from my job as a nurse, the first thing I thought of was, I must find another nurse that suffers from SUD to help me. Nursing Peer Support Network, Network was not available at this time. This is what motivates me to convene and to help other nurses. And then some wonderful nurses through Marie Manthe's nursing salon started helping me, encouraging me, and now I am healthier. I am, I am in a position to help others. The rewards are showing up at every NPSN meeting and watching other nurses go through this wonderful recovery process. Witnessing first the fear, pain, tears, grit, anger, loss, and then the joy, peace, balance, happiness, and mending relationships with themselves, God, and others. It is a continuum of healing for myself and keeps my recovery healthy as well. On countless occasions, I have had the privilege of being able to share my experience, strength, and hope and resources with other nurses going through this process. And at that, we have to stop. But wow, that's that's a powerful ending. Um, thank you all for being here. Marie Manthe, Becky Lillehigh, Deb Matthias Anderson. And uh, I hope that we can perhaps have another program somewhere in the future. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with your host, Leanne Meyer. Be sure to join us again next Monday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a productive and insightful week.
The nursing industry is one of the fastest growing career forces in the world today. There are so many issues in the healthcare field. Spa Munari is a full service well.